Good morning. My name is Kay. Hi. The Old Testament reading is Psalm 100. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God, and God, God. He made us, we didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. The word of the Lord. Morning. My name is Bob. Hi. (laughs) This morning, I have the privilege of reading the New Testament in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God and the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Jill. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 4, 23, 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The gospel of the Lord. Good morning. You may be seated. My name is Pete. Okay, good. There you go. Um, it's really good to be here this morning. Seeing all the fans reminds me of my early years in churches where they had the fans. Uh, they were funeral home fans. I hope yours is not. Um, but I'm really glad to be here. I am uh, the executive pastor of worship, have been for the last five and a half years for New Life Church. My role has been to work with all the creatives, all the songwriters, all the worship leaders, uh, to bring them to a common table so they have a common language about worship and what it is we're doing. So it doesn't become just a platform thing, it becomes a presence thing. We have gathered because the presence of the Lord is among us. And so that's why we're here, even in the heat. <laughs> I know the presence of the Lord is here because you're here. So my goal this morning is, is to honor what Pastor Glenn, who is a friend, and Pastor Jason Jackson, who's also a friend, asked me to do. They asked me to speak about worship and the church. And I love those two areas because I've given my whole life to serving the local church. It was not my original intent. I wanted to be a... Uh, a musician full-time. I am a songwriter, but I wanted to be in the music realm and and work there for many, many, many years. I worked with Integrity Music for 10 years or more in Mobile, Alabama. And I love the worship of the church, but what I feel my role is this morning is to try to remind us of two areas, why we worship and why our worship actually matters. Every week, you and I are encouraged to come to worship. 
We're encouraged to gather. We're encouraged to come and, and participate in the things that we just participated in. But I always ask, I'm, a, I'm a critical thinker, so I'm always asking myself, why? Why do we do this? For what purpose? Where is all of this going? And so I'm going to try to answer those two questions, why we worship and why it matters. And this is an identity thing for the church. My love for the church and my love for worship is to try to remind them of why we do these things because it's, it's important that we understand that the Lord is up to something and he's doing it with you and me. And we need to understand who we are and why we're doing what we do. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning, for this place, for your will being done in this place, for the leaders you've placed here, for Pastor Glenn, for Pastor Jason, for all the leaders that are here in this local church. Lord, thank you for them, for their labor over these 10 plus years. I pray you would continue to bless them and bless us this morning with your word. Holy Spirit, teach us, teach us all. Help us to have something we can take home that it beds itself in our deep. A word, an idea, an insight, a challenge that when we go home, Lord, you'll continue to speak to us long after these moments have passed. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I've traveled around the world and traveled domestically in the United States, I've seen a lot of different approaches to worship. And I've always tried to find uh, what people mean when they say worship. If I were to take a microphone and meet you outside and ask you as you came in, what is worship? I would probably get as many different kinds of ideas as there are people. And so I think it's important for us to try to encapsulate and capture in some way, some practical way, some working way, what it is we're doing. I've discovered that the perceptions of worship that I've seen over time really boil down to about six. A lot of people come to our meetings on Sunday morning thinking it's just a Sunday morning program. It's an hour or 90-minute time to slice out of your week to come and be together, to receive ministry, to, um, to give ministry, to hear, to listen, to give. But they block that time out of the week, and then they go on with the rest of their lives. So it's a Sunday morning program. For other people, worship, another perception of worship has to do with what I would call a preferred style of music. <laughs> there's, this is, there's been a big fight about this over the, over the years. For some people, it's got to be contemporary. For some people, it's got to be traditional. For other people, it's got to be classical. For other people, it's got to be alternative, <laughs> alternative kind of music. And for some, it's got to be a combination of all those kinds of things. But they won't go to a local church unless the music is something that they prefer. Others go to church because they have a, a reverence for what I call ancient practices, like here. I love this place because of its reverence for ancient practices, where we try to use Christian symbols and, and uh, uh ordinances and sacraments to explain the inexplicable. It's called liturgical. I love that element that's in our churches today. But some won't go to a church unless it's just that. Others will only go to church if you have effective communicators. Good preaching, good teaching, good doctrine, sound doctrine. New Life Church downtown, you are blessed with the communicators that you have here. You are really blessed. 
Glenn Packiam is a phenomenal communicator. Jason Jackson is a phenomenal communicator. And I, I've worked with them long enough to see them as young prophets for this generation. You're blessed. I travel all over the place. You are really, really blessed. For other people, they believe that church must be totally about emotional freedom. That is for them, worship is a no holds bar, no holds barred, unrestrained, spirit-directed spontaneity. Those meetings tend to go on and on. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and I've been to some of those meetings. You've never, I once saw a YouTube video of a church that was singing, I exalt thee, and they sang it for 30 minutes. Even I got bored after five minutes. Um, other churches really look for emotional restraint. That is for them, worship is silence and reflection and confession, everything being done decently and in order. But what really amazes me about the church is that in the same room, in the same building, you can have people on the same row experiencing something different. You can have one person saying, this meeting is boring and irrelevant. Now they won't say that. While somebody else down the aisle is saying, man, God is in this place. So what is worship? All of these ideas or approaches to worship have value and, and they're true to some extent, but they're fragments, I believe, of a larger vision, chapters in a larger story. So I'd like to share with you this morning a few descriptions of worship, what I call working descriptions of worship that may give you some language to think about what we do on a Sunday morning what we do when we gather. The first description of worship that I want to give you is simply two words, love expressed. That's simple, that's simple to understand. Whatever we love, we're going to express our love for them. If you're married, you're going to express your love to your spouse. If you love anything, and uh, you know, there's Bronco fans all over the place. I've watched them express their love for the Broncos in all kinds of colorful ways. Um, but whatever we love, it's natural for us to express ourselves in some way towards the one or the thing that we love. Another description of worship that I have found helpful is transformation through adoration. You become like whatever you adore, whatever you love, whatever you give your attention to, whatever you spend your time with, whatever you uh, give yourself to, over time you will begin to be transformed by that attentiveness. I can say to you that in my marriage, and we will be married, believe it or not, next month, 49 years, that, that I have changed because of my wife. That looking into her face and loving her, trying to love her, trying to love her better, and learning from her has changed who I am. I have become a better me because of her. So that's what this means, a transformation through adoration. Another description is worship is an atmosphere. It's an atmosphere that welcomes God and makes room for his mighty acts. It's an expectant atmosphere. You come in expecting for the God that you believe in, the Christ that has died for you, the Holy Spirit that is present to be active in the room. When I come to worship, I don't come to hear the band. I come to hear from the Lord. I need to hear from the Lord if I'm going to be a good servant of God. So worship is this atmosphere that says you're welcome, God, to do whatever God does. To heal, to forgive, to restore, to encourage, to exhort, to lift up. 
But the description of worship that I want to work with this morning is, is this description. Worship is responding to all that God is with all that we are. Worship is responding to all that God is with all that we are. I think this is a helpful way forward for most of us. Worship is a response to what we see in the scriptures, what we see God doing among us, what we discover about the God of the Bible. It's an eye-opening, life-transforming revelation of God. That makes sense to me. In Jesus Christ, God has demonstrated beyond question, in my mind at least, that he is personal. Would you agree? That he's knowable or else you wouldn't be here. He's available, he's powerful, he's miraculous, he's forgiving, he speaks to us, he leads us, he sustains us, he heals us, and on and on and on we go as we look through the scriptures. So what should a worshiper do when they encounter this kind of God? Worship is more than a simple accumulation of biblical facts about God. Worship is a response to all that God is and does from us. We respond to the goodness of God. I think the scripture offers us a window into how we should respond with all that we are. And that it comes from our text this morning. So I want to review the biblical models that we've read this morning. In Psalm 100, if you read Psalm 100, you find that in verses 3 and 4, we are introduced to all that God is or the why of worship, which is he is God Newsflash, we are not. He made us, we belong to him. He is good all the time and his love endures forever. In fact, his faithfulness outlives us. In verses one, two, and five, we see the psalmist's response to all that God is. Joyful shouting. Another translation says joyful noise. If you can't shout well, noise will do. Glad worship, joyful songs, singing, thanksgiving, and praise and blessing. He is our shout. He is our gladness. He is our reason for joyful singing. He is the reason for our glad service and worship. He is the reason that we're here doing what we're doing. I, I was watching a, a, it was a three-hole golf tournament, and there was a special uh, a big prize, I think a new car, if you got a hole in one on this par three hole. And I watched these four or five guys on the tee, tee off, and they were obviously scratch golfers. They were really good. But this one guy, this young guy, he hits the ball and it goes right into the hole. And they go crazy. They go the whole length of that green to the hole, jumping and leaping and praising God. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> jumping and leaping because of a white ball goes into a hole. It seems to me that our gathering here has as much or more significance than those kind of moments. And I, I watch how people respond at Broncos football game. And I wonder, I wonder if they went to church this morning and just sat jammed in their skin. We have a message and a God who creates in us this desire to worship him with all that we are. In Psalm 103 and we find in verse three and following, we're reminded again of all that God is and does. Again, the why of worship. And he goes through this whole list of things that God does. 
He forgives, he heals, he rescues, he beautifies, he renews. He is just and cares for the oppressed. It goes on and on and on again. But in verses one and two, we hear his response to all that God is. Bless him, he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me. All that is, everybody say all, all. All that is within me. Bless his holy name. So how do we respond? How does he respond? We call our minds and our weary lives <laughs> and the heat of this morning to remember. We refuse to take God's benefits for granted and we join or participate in the praise response of all creation in worship. We become participants in an elevated worship when we remember. All of this is to help us remember. All of this is to help us recall the goodness of God. Consider the words of Jesus in John chapter four from our text reading this morning. Jesus says that God the Father is actively seeking worshipers. Follow me here. He doesn't say he's seeking worship. He is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. In other words, embodied worship. If that's true, then you and I are the sought. If he's seeking that, then we are the sought. And here's what I believe about worship. At those times and places where the sought, you and me, come face to face with the unmatched worth of the seeker, God, combustion or worship occurs. There is a there is an inner, there is an, uh, uh, an exchange. There's a, a place where we meet him and he meets us. And all we can do is respond to his goodness. One pastor has written these words to identify the importance of our response to all that he is with these words. He writes, if our engagement with God is bland, the boldness of our claim regarding what God has done in Christ will seem meaningless. The truth is we won't give away anything that we, we don't enjoy. You know, you can sing amazing grace and not be amazed anymore. And our job as the church is to be reminded continually of the goodness of God and why we do what we do. So what is worship? I want to suggest to you for this morning, at least, that worship is responding to all that God is and all that he does with all that we are and with all that we do. It's a response. Say it with me. It's a response. It's a response. So here's why we worship. We worship, number one, because of the good news found only in Jesus Christ. And I want to say it this way. The cross itself compels our worship. The truth is we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God being rich in mercy, the scripture says, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and transgressions, he made us alive with Christ and raised us up with him. The good news is that all the sin charges, the sin charges against us, a debt that we could never pay, have been canceled in Christ. Having been nailed to the cross, 
It was there that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the cross. That's good news. That's good news. That really is good news, Pete. <laughs> Thank you so much. In beautiful language, in an almost singing style, Paul passionately reminds us of the outcome of the good news. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I, have, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, loves a lot in this passage, and gave himself up for me. In short, we are free to become all he died for us to become. Men and women who continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of lips, let me say it this way, the response of lips that give thanks to his name. We worship, number two, because we are created for worship. One of the worship leaders this morning mentioned this this morning. I believe that his eternal plan, his saving plan, beautifies us. I think to, to worship anything else disfigures us. Did you hear what I said? To worship him beautifies us. We're never, we never look any better than we do than when we're in the presence of God. With our faces turned towards him. Anything else that we worship will disfigure us and make us less than what he designed for us to be. In the garden, men and women were created in God's image to bring God pleasure. In the fall, we retained his image. It's his imprint on the human heart, the potter's mark on the clay, that regardless of whether one acknowledges him as savior or not, creates within us these otherworldly longings. And you don't have to be in this room to have those. There are people out there that are trying to figure out what is all this about. There are people leaving the church because they can't figure what all that's about. But I think that we have an identity that if it's worship that creates the kind of atmosphere that God can speak to those kinds of people. Three times Paul tells the Ephesian believers that God's salvation plan in Christ was, to, was for the praise of his glory. In, in Revelation 4, John says, in the King James, he says, Thou has created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. You and I have been created to bring God pleasure. Augustine says it this way, Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. John tells us again that we're destined to be a part of a new song in heaven, a song that declares, and this is important, a song that declares that Jesus succeeded in purchasing for God, with his blood, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's you and me. When we sing, when we worship, we are declaring without knowing it that he succeeded in what he set out to do. We are the examples of that. We are the result of his love. We are part of that people in Revelation. That's our story. That's our destiny. Can you say amen? amen? Third reason we worship is because we tend to leak. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Over and over again, the Hebrews were exhorted to remember and never forget who had led them, sustained them, and prospered them. I don't know about you, but our tendency is through circumstances and all kinds of uh, different ways, 
we can be worn down and become weary and we begin to forget our, our, our gratitude, our look at all that God is with all that we are gets clouded and, and foggy. But the truth is we need worship to recalibrate us. We need worship to blow away the fog. We come for that to happen. Our transformation as believers is a moment-by-moment, choice-by-choice process. We are saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. But we're not there yet. In the time, in, but in the times between his comings, we live in a transition between who we are and who we are becoming. We are thus vulnerable. The hymn writer said it this way, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. Memorial stones, stone altars for worship, and the prophets all helped Israel to remember. In our day, for us, baptism, the Lord's Supper, preaching the presence of the Spirit as we gather, and worship help us to remember the grace we've received in Christ reminds us of the people we're to be until he returns and the hope we have in this life and in the life to come. Yes, worship, I believe, is a response to all that he is with all that we are. So how did the early believers express their worship? Well, the the scripture records a whole range of responses from silence to shouting, from confession to celebration, from lament to hope, from sickness, get this, to dancing, from prison to praise, from beatings to blessings, from relentless witness to martyrdom, from repentance to renewal, from proclamation to wonder, and from music to mission. Our response to all that God is with all that we are is, I think, very important. But why does it all matter? Why do any of these things matter? Number one, I believe because we're changed in his presence. We are changed in his presence and formed by his presence. In 2 Corinthians 3, the scripture says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Let me say it simply. When we come into the presence of the Lord, we are changed. We are being transformed. We gather because the transformation happens when we're together. Let me illustrate from the scriptures. Moses encounters God in a burning bush on the mountain, and he is changed. Jacob goes to sleep on a rock pillow, encounters the Lord's presence, and he is changed. Isaiah goes into the temple, sees the Lord high and lifted up, and is changed. The Samaritan woman meets Jesus at the well, and walks away changed. The Holy Spirit comes to the church in Acts chapter 2, and the disciples who were cowards and ran away are now changed. Paul meets Jesus and is changed. Paul and Silas are in jail. They're not trying to figure out how to break out. Instead, they're worshiping, and they're singing hymns. And what happens? The prison keeper and his family are changed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that even unbelievers, people who don't believe, when they come into dynamic worship, are changed. And they say, surely God is in this place. 
the senior citizen John who's sitting on the Isle of Patmos in prison, somewhere around 90 years of old, most scholars believe, he's in prison on this island. I've been there. I've seen, it. I've seen where they say he was. In that place, he sees the worship of heaven and his imprisonment becomes a place of glory. Theirs is my story too. So we, we worship is important because of what God is doing among us. Number two, worship is our declaration of allegiance in the face of a defeated yet determined enemy. In Revelation chapter 12, message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson translates these words. Then I heard a strong voice out of heaven saying, salvation and power are established, kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, the accuser of the brothers and sisters thrown out who accused them day and night before God. They defeated him through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their witness. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. So rejoice, O heavens, and all who live there, but doomed to earth and sea. For the devil has come down on you with both feet. He's had a great fall. He's wild and raging with anger. He hasn't much time, and he knows it. Let me give you a little secret about worship. The Holy Spirit is not the only room, only spirit that's in the room when we worship. There is another spirit, confusing, clouding, critiquing, you know, makes, makes us critics, makes us harden ourselves, makes us remember the last bad thing we did on our way here, things we have to do, we get distracted. There are other things operating in the room when we gather for worship. And so when we worship, we're making a declaration of allegiance to the King, to the Lord. I told you before that I travel with Integrity Music. One of my trips was to Armenia. While I was in Armenia, we smuggled in a number of believers from the Iranian church that was underground. About 30 of them came to this conference we were doing. And at the end of that conference, we were asked to pray for these Iranian believers. And so I was down at the front with two translators beside me. And while I was praying for people, a young man walked up, good looking young man, mid-twenties, glasses. He looked like a college student in the United States. He was Iranian. When he walked up, I noticed a lot of fidgeting by my translators. And I asked, oh, uh, you know, what's going on? I said, well, this young man wants you to pray for, for him. And I said, well, what does he want me to pray for? <clears throat> and then they broke into tears. They said, this is the son of a martyred, underground Iranian leader. This son watched his father stab several times and hung. And he's come here tonight to ask you to pray for him because he wants to go back to Iran, take up his father's ministry, and then he said these words, he's willing to take up, he's willing to take up the ministry and pay the same price that his father did. For me, standing, then I began to cry. <laughs> I began to sob. I just didn't know how to pray for someone that way. For me, there was for me in that moment a living example of a declaration of ultimate allegiance in the face of an enemy he knew all too well. So when we worship, it's our declaration of allegiance in spite of all that's going on around us. I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'd come to the platform and begin to make their way, please.
as we move to the close of my comments this morning. The third and final reason I believe worship matters, why it's important that we gather because a worshiping church, I believe, is the hope of the world. A worshiping church is the hope of the world. In Ephesians 3, 10 through 12, Paul says that God's intent was that now through the church. Everybody say, through the church. Say it again, through the church. The many-sided or manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Through the church, God intends to make a statement. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished, he's accomplished this in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. As we move towards the close of our time this morning, I, I feel compelled to make some statements that identify who we are and why we do what we do. And they are what I call we are statements. And I hope you'll hang with me now for a couple of minutes. In a world of free fall, we are the church he promised to build in Matthew 16. Men and women gathered around one confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. We are the gathering of the redeemed captured by an undeserved grace and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We, the, we are the oasis that offers living water and connects broken people with the healer. We are the army that pulls down every stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We are the church of the ever-present and powerful Holy Spirit, expecting His presence when we assemble and willing to obey His voice when He speaks. We are the church that confronts injustice in the world. We are the people who embody healthy fatherhood, womanhood, family, and marital fidelity. We are the place that embodies and extends forgiveness. We're a gathering of covenant keepers in a world of covenant breakers. We are the disciples of salt and light, creating a thirst for God's gracious reign and offering a way home to the prodigal. We're a gathering of worshipers who celebrate the power of the resurrected life, this side of heaven. We are the church who love God in front of people and love people in front of God without reservation, without fear, and without apology. We are the people of the future looking forward to the day when we shall gather with all the saints who have preceded us and who I believe this morning are cheering us on even as we wave our fans. They're cheering us on from every nation tribe and language. Together, New Life, downtown, we are the hope of the world. Worship is the end game of our mission. One day, every tongue will confess, confess that He is Lord to the glory of the, God, of the Father. I want to give you one final exhortation from Billy Graham's grandson, and I hope you'll remember this. Therefore, we must remember we must remember, New Life Downtown, that we are a people of the future formed by the past and living in the present. We must remember that our citizenship lies not only in Colorado Springs, but in the city whose foundations, whose architect, its builder is God, not man. We must remember that in our worship, while contemporists operate with their heads fixed frontwards, never looking over their shoulder at the stock from which they have come, and traditionalists operate with their heads on backwards, 
romanticizing of the past and always wanting to go back. The church, us, you and I, in contrast to both extremes, is called upon to be a people with spinning heads. Learning from the past, living in the present, and looking to the future. We must remember that it is our unique responsibility and privilege to remind our culture that this world is not all there is and, th and that they are not left to the resources of this world to satisfy their otherworldly longings. My reading of Scripture and serving the church has convinced me that we are more than a social gathering. We are the people of God. Can you say amen? Worship is more than a spectator sport. Worship is our response to the living and powerful presence of the resurrected Christ here among us this morning. While you listen to me this morning, the angels are still singing around the throne. They're still joined by saints and martyrs from every nation who once lived and breathed the same air as you and I do. When we worship, the membrane between heaven and earth grows thin. Our voices join theirs even as our future is theirs. As we prepare for the table of the Lord this morning, let's respond to all that God is with as much of ourselves as we are able to this morning. Or as Eugene Peterson has said in his translation of Psalm 100 that we read earlier, he encourages, let's bring a gift of laughter and applauding heart and sing ourselves into his presence. He is worthy. He is worthy indeed. Micah.